welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Joe Tata. He's a doctor of physical therapy, a nutrition specialist, and an acceptance commitment therapy trainer. He's also the founder of the Integrative Pain Science Institute and the author of the best-selling book, Radical Relief. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, welcome, Joe. And I'm very excited to have Joe on the show today. Um, I talked to him a couple of years ago. I think I was on your podcast at that time. And he's a physical therapist. And I work very hard. I don't think I work as hard as he does. I was looking at his books and websites and whatever. And he's been a very busy guy. But he's a global leader in integrative pain care and an advocate for the safe and effective treatment of chronic pain. He is the founder of the Integrative Pain Science Institute, a cutting-edge health company reinventing pain care through evidence-based treatment, research, and professional development. For 25 years, he has supported people living with pain and helped practitioners deliver more effective pain management. His research and career achievements include a scalable practice model centered on lifestyle medicine, health behavior change, and digital therapeutics. He is a doctor of physical therapy and a board-certified nutrition specialist and acceptance and commitment therapy trainer. He is the author of two best-selling books, Radical, Radical Relief and Heal Your Pain Now, and host of the Healing Pain Podcast. You can learn more by visiting his website at the IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. It's the IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. And I just spent some time there, and there's a lot going on. So, Joe, you've been a busy guy. <laughs> Hi, David. Thanks for uh, inviting me on your great podcast. I, all of us are busy, aren't we? Yeah. Trying to, to help people with this problem. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you the question that I already know the answer to, but um, what motivates you to work so hard at helping people solve their chronic pain? What motivates me so hard to help people solve their chronic pain is really, I just have um, one, a curiosity um, about how humans work and of course how we can help people be more resilient and resiliency is something that I'm really looking at more and more and talking about more and more and that's really what ultimately drives me is that resiliency aspect that all of us have as humans inside of us right and you've been doing physical therapy now for what 25 years you said about yeah I started practicing somewhere around 1996 and I'm assuming you started with sort of the traditional physical therapy approach and somehow you evolved into this approach here. And I would say of all the books I've read, not that I'm the standard of care, but um, it's extraordinarily almost word for word the way I feel. You know, you're talking about acceptance, commitment therapy. And I said for a long time that the doc program is very, pretty much the closest to acceptance, commitment therapy is the closest medical model for it. And I'm just curious how you evolved from the standard physical therapy to come into this approach? Yeah, I mean, I started my, you know, career out in a multidisciplinary inpatient rehabilitation program. And most of the patients there had some type of chronic pain syndrome that ran the gamut from, you know, joint replacements and long-term osteoarthritis to CRPS, um, you know, chronic disease such as diabetes, where there were amputations, everything. So I really learned a lot the first couple of years of, of that practice. And that was a multidisciplinary setting. Later on, as I you know, evolved my career and I noticed that 
you know, these skills are very siloed um, in our healthcare setting. Right. And that's, that's a great problem for us as a society because right. oftentimes people need to access multiple things, but these psychological processes that you're talking about. So when you look at your work, you're like, yeah, I, I have a lot of acceptance wrapped into my work and I work with people on goal setting and values and commitment. Those are all kind of core parts of acceptance and commitment therapy, but those processes show up in a lot of things that we do as professionals. And they of course show up in a lot of things that we do as everyday people. So what I, one of the things I like about ACT and what drew me to ACT is it, it started to provide me with a framework that I can kind of use as like a catapult to other things that, I were, that I'm currently doing and other things that I have done um, in the world of, of pain care. So people will look at ACT and they'll look at my book, Radical Relief, and they say, yeah, I do certain aspects of that. I, I never knew I was actually doing that, but this helps me conceptualize how I'm helping people or how I'm approaching people or... For some practitioners, how I'd like to approach people or how I'd like to approach pain, but I haven't necessarily found a framework and given myself permission to approach pain in this way. So could you um, describe to the audience what um, ACT stands for and what it is? Sure. ACT is an acronym that stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And ACT, which is said in one word, is an advanced form of cognitive behavioral therapy that has sprung up um, most popular in the chronic pain literature probably in the last 10 years, but the research in it really started probably in the 80s, um, looking at all sorts of uh, physical as well as mental health challenges. And it uses um, the, the core process of acceptance and community therapy is what's called psychological flexibility. And then there are these six other processes that all work in combination to um, support that central process. And essentially to support the behavior change that we're so desperately seeking in our patients. And of course, people are so desperately seeking in themselves so they can learn to overcome chronic pain. Well, I've been very impressed over the years that the physical therapy world has been on top of this a lot more than the medical world has. And of course, integrated medicine is adopting a lot of these approaches, but this is sort of the opposite of mainstream medicine right now, which is very quick, symptomatic care only, not really diving into the real root causes of things. And the ACT really dives into the root causes. And I'm guessing strongly that you're seeing some pretty remarkable results by just dealing with the whole human organism. Yeah. And I want to just touch base on what you said, how my profession uh, as a physical therapist has definitely um, taken a liking to psychologically informed care. Um, what I'll tell you, David, is that's not everyone though. Right. And I think that's why I'm, you know, podcasts like this are really important because um, we are speaking, you know, practitioner to practitioner, um, technically from different specialties, let's say. So you're more from a allopathic background. I'm more from a physical therapy background, but we're arriving at the same place. Right. So one of the things that I really enjoy when I talk about this is um, educating, of course, not only people with pain, but also practitioners. Right. Because I, I really do believe people ask me, how did you become interested in this? And I, I think if you are um, let's just say awake on some level when you begin to practice right out of school with people right. with, with chronic pain, you realize there's a lot more going on here than just the body. Right. And I need some skills to help support my, my practice. And I need some skills to help support obviously the patient who's struggling and that person who's been suffering. So yes, it's a little bit easier in the world of physical therapy. I think primarily because we have a little bit more time. Right. 
the average physical therapist probably spends, you know, somewhere to 20 to 40 minutes with the patient. So we do a lot of talking. We naturally do a lot of counseling. And I have seen physicians come through my ACT program and they're extremely interested, but what they have to start to do is to look at their practice and say, what are the steps that I can take to start to change my practice, right? Right. So that I can support either uh, an ACT approach or any other type of um, counseling or cognitive behavioral therapy approach. And I think those are some of the conversations I'd like to see happen more with within our entire medical system, because this is a problem that begins in school. Right. Right. The curricula that all of us have in school right now is so outdated. So right. one of the things I do is I call on educators to pull out old things and put right. new things in and then change our residencies and affiliations. And then, of course, change our practice. So um, those are just common some of the areas I like to just kind of touch base on first to, so we can impact change in a way that is you know, globally important. And a lot of it starts with our education as professionals. So let's say I'm your patient. I walk in, I've had neck pain for two years. I'm having headaches. I, my anxiety levels are like eight on a scale of 10. And how would you approach me? What, what are the things are you looking for right from the beginning? Because as you do know, which is clear in your book, that pain is a total body experience. I mean, it's not, if you didn't have a body, you wouldn't have pain. If you didn't have a brain, you wouldn't have a nervous system interpret the impulses. So it's a combined experience. It's a total body experience to the environment. So here I am, I walked in your office. I've had pain for two years. I'm sort of pissed off at the person who hit me from behind that caused my neck pain in the first place. And what is something, how would you start to approach me? So there are five key areas that I'm looking for when people come to me and they have longstanding chronic pain. The first is how they're thinking about the cause of their pain. Okay. And that really, we can kind of go through these, through these individuals. I'll kind of give you like the, the five-step framework first. So the first okay. is, how are you thinking about the cause of your pain? Okay. Then the second is, how are you relating to your thoughts and emotions about okay. pain? Uh, your thoughts, emotions, and bodily sensations about pain. Um, what does your lifestyle look like? Are you able, or you, do you feel like you have the self-efficacy to begin to take risks in your life and return back to activities, even if you have some pain? And then the, the, the final one is what is your motivation level? So okay. how, motiv how motivated are you to engage in this process with me and engage yourself in this process of right. overcoming chronic pain? So right. those are the five things that I look for. And that's um, that's a, a pretty in detailed, um, initial evaluation that I go through with people. We have about 10 minutes here. I'd like to go back to those five really quickly, but I want to start with the last one first, because what we, what I found took me probably six years to learn this. If a person isn't motivated, there's nothing I can do. In fact, the harder I try to convince somebody to get rid of their pain, the worse it gets. And I don't want to go into the details today, but the biggest obstacle I've seen for people healing from pain is that they're actually not willing to give it up. They're not motivated. Uh, it sounds like you found the same thing. Yeah, and there's actually a, a whole aspect of acceptance and commitment therapy um, that uses a, a process that actually helps people. In essence, really what you're saying is give up that, that struggle with pain. Right. And that, that's, a big, that's a big aspect of it. Because it is, it, it's huge. 
it's it's of course someone is of course wrapped up in the struggle with pain relief so the intensity right but it's also someone's identity right and that's a whole nother aspect to to help people um, unwind and there there you know there are ways to to work on that with people right so let me start at number one what was the first one again the first part of your five step oh so the first step is to rethink how we're approaching pain and how does that make and why is that important well, our beliefs about pain are important. So for example, you know very well, David, as, as being a spine surgeon, if someone comes to you with chronic lower back pain and they are firmly attached to the belief that a herniated disc in their back is the cause of their pain. Right. We have some pretty good research that when we help people modify those beliefs, so look at those beliefs in a different way, that that's a really good starting point to decreasing someone's fear about movement, let's say. Right. And to help impacting the second aspect, which we talked about, is that um, reappraisal, looking at thoughts around pain. So, you know, that's the education aspect of it. And education, pain education, is certainly an important first step that we use as practitioners. It's an important first step that we should use with the public, which is kind of what we're doing here today. A lot of this, in essence, is pain education. Right. Um, the, the, the challenging part of pain education, you and I spoke about this a little bit um, on the way here before into this podcast today, is that there's a whole body of research that pain education is important. Right. And we should use it. And it's effective, mildly effective, but right. it's not effective enough to change behavior on its own. And as practitioners, that's what we should be aware of. Do some people have what I'd like to call an epiphany? And pain education completely changes their beliefs about pain and in essence, changes their behavior and changes pain. Sure, that does happen. It's, it's very um, far and few between as, as um, I tell people. It's part of a comprehensive approach to pain though. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I think this obsessive pursuit and knowledge, somehow people think if I just know enough, I'm gonna heal, actually yeah. is counterproductive. So it's, it goes two ways because pain education by itself, I think is minimally effective but you actually can't move on to the rest of the program without it. It's just that sort of core concept thing, but certainly you know, not the final solution by any means. What was the second step again? Oh, I'm sorry, about the thought. So I just, we'll talk about this in the second half of the podcast, but I thought it really interesting. You know, there's a lot of research done on expressive writing and you put that right in there in your book, right in the middle of this whole thing. So can you explain about this phrase relationship to your thoughts? Sure. So if you look at um, more traditional cognitive, cognitive behavior therapy approaches and pain education, which we're just talking about, has aspects of that embedded in it. And ideally, we're helping people uh, it, with traditional cognitive behavior therapy, we're helping people, uh, the technical term is reappraise their thoughts, which in some way is to change thoughts. Right. And why is changing thoughts important? Well, the way I approach it from an act informed perspective, changing thoughts to me, the most important place it is, is what we just spoke about changing thoughts with regard to what the cause of their pain is. Right. So if I can help someone understand that this marvelous brain and mind that we have has an influence on how you think and feel, then it really helps them understand, okay, yes, I have to work on the tissues, I have to work on range of motion and strength and flexibility and balance and all that is 
vitally important. Right. But I also have to work on the strength and flexibility of my mind as well. Right. So that's really how those two start to go together. Now, the challenge or the, the problem we get into as practitioners, and a lot of, there's a lot of research to back this up, is that thoughts about pain don't change very rapidly. Right. And this is where I see practitioners get really stuck with patients because there becomes this kind of like, you know, arm wrestle, if you will. Right. Well, I'm going to change your thoughts. And once your thoughts change, your pain will change. Right. And the question is, well, how has that worked out for all of us? And when we look at the cognitive behavioral research that, as you mentioned before, shows minimal improvements, um, the, the literature is pretty clear on that, that we're not very good at changing thoughts, at least in the short term, which means probably the first about three months, which is how, which is where most cognitive behavioral um, interventions fall. Right. We also know from the neuroscience, neuroscience out of New England, there's a book out called How Emotions Are Made is that thoughts and concepts get embedded in our brain the same way a chair or a table or a car does. And so I have to, re <laughs> my wife's going to kill me, but I need to rewrite my book because I've always said, well, thoughts are real because they create chemical reactions in your body, but they're not reality. That's actually not true. Thoughts are your version of reality and you act in concrete ways based on these concepts, which are just as real as this chair or the table. So these thought processes are not subtle. Um, what was the third thing you mentioned? So the third was redesigning your lifestyle. Okay. And that really looks at lifestyle factors and how they have an impact, um, both on our physical pain as well as our emotional pain. Okay. And that's a big task. That's sort of a big bite. It is a big bite. Um, but it, it's wrapped up in that behavior change. And if you, if you look at actually some of the, um, well, there's a couple of things to take into consideration. Um, First is when you look at just from a research base, the gold standard still is a multimodal approach to pain. Right. So we can talk about thoughts, you know, for, for many hours here, David, and, I'm, and there, there will be times where I'll say, all right, thoughts are important, but if you're pouring sugar into your body and the only fuel you have for your brain is a processed, um, highly dense carbohydrate food. Right it's very difficult to have a brain function on that. Right. And when you look at the research with regard to things like cognitive decline and Alzheimer's and the associations with chronic pain and diet, that there's like this triangle there that happens. So, Correct. so we need to obviously fuel our body. So when we're working on cognitive interventions like you and I are talking about, and our thoughts start to now release different neurotransmitters. Well, we need proteins for those neurotransmitters. Right. We need certain healthy fats for those neurotransmitters. They don't just kind of, you know, come out of the air, so to speak. So right. lifestyle is really important. I mean, sleep in and of itself really is probably the most uh, influential impact on cognitive function for so many people with chronic pain. Yeah, I am. Um... As you know, in my process, I, th I think sleep is number one with everything else contributing to that. But I just want to, I actually use this as sort of my mantra is that we're doing major spine surgery with high complication rate, poor outcomes, and we're not asking the patients how they're sleeping. And we do know that lack of sleep actually causes chronic low back pain. So trying to cover the simple bases to get people better is so important. And, you know, as surgeons, we tend to jump right into spine surgery, but it's a big jump from sleep to major spine surgery. Mm -hmm. And so 
And what was the fourth thing that we were going to discuss? Um, the fourth is risk. And then we had, you mentioned motivation earlier. Right. Let me just go back to that redesign lifestyle part though, David, because okay. it's, it's so important for people. Right. And you're right. Obviously, redesigning someone's lifestyle and lifestyle-related behaviors is a big chunk. To help kind of whittle this down for practitioners as well as uh, people struggling with pain, I tell them that it's really important that you take your meds. And I'm not talking about pharmaceutical medication. When I talk about meds, I'm talking about MEDS, which is meditation, exercise, diet, and sleep. Like, I love it. So if you can somehow work that <laughs> in, right? Maybe three minutes of meditation, starting with just five minutes of exercise has been proven to release opioids in your brain. Right. Systematic reviews on um, a Mediterranean um, whole food based diet, and then sleep, as you mentioned, just those, those, those are your meds. Right. I love it. That's a great, that's a great paradigm. Mm -hmm. So I want to um, wrap this up a little bit because I want to spend a little bit more time in the second podcast about what you actually do on a given day with a given patient and go into some more detail on some of the steps that you just talked about. But I do want to point out, he has written a new book released what on Tuesday this week, you said like two days ago. Came out on Tuesday, January 5th. Okay. Got it. Wow. Okay. Today's January 7th. And I'm excited about this book because, um, you know, my whole thing is collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. This is such a huge burden of chronic disease in our country right now. <clears throat> Unless we start going to a wellness model instead of an illness model, we're all in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. And so it's called Radical Relief, A Guide to Overcome Chronic Pain. Um, Joe is the author. And then he, and I don't want to screw this up. What is your um, institute called? It's called the Integrative Pain Science Institute. And there's lots of online services that are available. Then what was your original book, the first book that you wrote? My original book was called Heal Your Pain Now, and that came out four years ago. Okay. And, and I'm just curious as far as um, your evolution and thinking of that book compared to this book. This book, what I'm excited about this book is concise. And as I go through it, I go, hmm, it's very nice. I mean, I have a process that's pretty darn similar. And we also know that those of us who watch chronic pain patients heal is very rewarding. Then as you also know, if you do just physical therapy, when you ignore the other factors, just like when you do surgery and, and ignore the other factors, it doesn't work. So it's much more gratifying to see people get better than, than, to, than to do just physical therapy and watch people continue to suffer. Yeah. So um, did, can you make a couple um, statements to the world about what you're trying to convey with this book? I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Well, it's an interesting story. When I approached the uh, New York City publisher four years ago for my first book, I sat down with them. And this was before the opioid epidemic really um, kind of hit the fan. And I said, you know, look, I've been in practice for 20 years and I've seen um, as, as hard as I've been working and everyone else, I've seen chronic pain rates increase. And I see more and more people with interventions that don't work or in essence harmful for them. And they said, okay, well, we don't really know a lot about chronic pain, but we'll let you kind of write a book. So I had 300 pages to write as much, I was excited, 300 pages, I can write as much as I know about chronic pain. And in that last chapter of the book, I talk about the brain and pain. So in essence, I'm starting to introduce um, pain science and pain psychology to people. In the, in the first parts, it was more like a lifestyle medicine approach, things we just kind of spoke about. Right. And I, I received a lot of input from both people with pain as well as practitioners. 
I want to know more about the, the mind. I want to know more about pain. And that was really the evolution that led into radical relief. And the, it's still a radical idea for people to think that our mind can have this powerful influence over our pain, over how we respond to our pain, and in essence, over alleviating our pain or helping us with the behavior to alleviate pain. And that's why I call it radical relief, because so many people think, well, I just need to take a pill or I just need to do this special exercise. And sometimes, quite, quite rarely, but sometimes that does work. But ultimately, we really need to go deeper. And my approach when I say radical, the radical relief approach isn't one that that's necessarily forceful. And actually, in many ways, it's gentle and compassionate. Absolutely. Working with your own mind and working with yourself and looking at yourself and saying, okay, how can I, you know, help myself as if I help a friend through this? And how can, how can we overcome this together? Right. No, this is wonderful. And of course, the more you know, <clears throat> the more concise you can become, right? So this is a remarkably concise, clear book, which I think is one was called Radical Relief by Joe Tata, T-A-T-T-A. And uh, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm really, uh, of all the books I've seen come out in the last few years, this one is really, really concise. So Joe, thank you for being on this podcast. In the next um, episode, we will talk more about what you actually do and how this book gets applied to your day-to-day -day practice. But I really appreciate being on the show. I'm excited about what you're up to and what you're doing. Thanks, David, for the opportunity. Looking forward to uh, talking to you further about this. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Joe Tata, for being on the show today and for sharing his five-step framework for the treatment of chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.